take God's Word and turn with me to Acts chapter 6. Before Christmas, we were in a series, and we were titling that series, It's Your Move. And in this series, what we're doing is we're looking at the first church in Acts chapter 1 through 7, and we see in Acts 1 through 7 that the first church was a mighty force for God, a force for righteousness, and a force for good. And if we are to be that kind of church, what we're going to have to do is what they did, and that is we're going to have to get on the move. So this morning what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at this church again in Acts chapter 6. And the title of today's message comes from our text And the title of the message is Turning Our Problems into Possibilities. A pessimist sees an obstacle in every opportunity, but a spirit-filled Christian sees an opportunity in every obstacle. The first church was a spirit-filled, growing church. And what we have seen so far is we have seen the power of God at work in this church. As believers are filled with the Holy Spirit, the apostles are preaching, they're preaching boldly, and God is giving them favor, and He's validating His messengers and the messenger they're proclaiming with miraculous signs and wonders, which includes physical healings. People are actually seeing God do things through these messengers that they had seen done in the life of Jesus himself. The Spirit of God is working in and through them, and God is validating the messenger and the messengers through these mighty signs and wonders. Let me just tell you, this was a happening church. Thousands of people were coming to faith in Christ. It was the kind of church that any one of us would have been glad to be part of. And yet there were some in the church who were complaining because their needs were being neglected. That in itself is a message to us. Friends, there are no perfect churches. All churches have problems. Now the difference between healthy churches and unhealthy churches and healthy families and unhealthy families is not the absence of problems. All churches and families have problems. The difference between healthy churches and unhealthy churches and healthy and unhealthy families is that healthy churches and families have the presence and power of the Holy Spirit working in the lives of the people who are part of them. So as we read God's Word this morning, what we find is we find a testimony about how the Spirit of God takes a problem and turns it into a possibility. And I want you to follow along with me as we begin the reading in Acts chapter 6, verse 1 through 7. Now, in those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. 
the twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples and they said, It would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty. But we'll devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole company. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip. Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a convert from Antioch. And they had them stand before the apostles who prayed over them and laid their hands on them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the encouragement of your word that it is not we who are powerful in our own strength, but we see in every occasion of life, there is this need of something more than just ourselves. We all face problems. And Lord, the difference in our lives is the difference that you can make through your power. Lord, we ask today that we would see afresh and anew that apart from you, we can do nothing. That we need you. That we're desperate for you. Lord, we ask for forgiveness where we attempt to face life and all of its challenges and our own strength when we come up with our own plans and father we just want to lay ourselves bare before you this morning and ask you to fill us up with your spirit in jesus name amen satan will never stop attacking the church what we've seen so far in the book of Acts, as we continue this morning in our study, is that we have seen that Satan employs three favorite tactics which he effectively uses to keep us from spreading the gospel and making disciples. First of all, we've seen that he intimidates the church by persecution. We've also seen that he pollutes the church with sin or hypocrisy. And this morning we see that he distracts the church through dissension. Today I want to share with you four basic facts that will help us turn our problems into possibilities. These four things apply to every church and every Christian, and they can be applied to our family life, can be applied to your school life, can be applied to our work life. The first thing I want you to see from God's Word this morning is that where there's life, there's growth. Now, what was the problem? The problem was growing pains. The church was growing by leaps and bounds. On the day of Pentecost, 120 believers gathered together. And these believers were waiting there as Jesus had instructed them to wait for him. He said, go and wait, don't do anything, just pray and wait. And as they prayed and they waited, God sent the promised Holy Spirit into their lives. Filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter, one of the 120, goes out and he preaches a message. Along with him, other members of that group are filled with the Spirit. And they begin to proclaim the message in other languages, which they've not gone to language school to learn. They supernaturally are empowered to be able to speak other languages. And the gospel is being presented to people in droves. 
Peter, most notably in chapter 2, as he's declaring the message, extends an invitation. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 2, verse 47, that 3,000 people on that first day responded to an invitation to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. A day or two later, Peter and John are arrested for proclaiming the gospel. They're thrown in prison, they're beaten, they're threatened, and then they're released. And the scripture tells us in Acts chapter 4, verse 4, when they had seen all that God had done, when they had seen the power of God at work in the lives of those who were testifying to his ability to be able to save and to heal, it says that in that text, 5,000 more people believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Then Acts chapter 5, verse 14 informs us, that believers were added to their number in increasing numbers, multitudes of both men and women. This was a growing church. Every church can be a growing church. Because every church is surrounded by lost people. All around us, people need Jesus. Now, we know this, and we know that God has filled us with His Spirit as believers in Christ, given us the Spirit, not so that we can sit around like little Jack Horner and stick our thumb in the pie and pull it out and say, oh, what a good boy am I. It's not so that it can be wasted on ourselves, but so that we will be His witnesses. We all have a story to tell. We have a story to tell the nations. We used to sing that song. And we have a story to tell the nations. And that story is, this is what Jesus has done for me. You know, the wonderful thing about being a witness for Jesus is nobody can dispute the testimony. It's your story. And you can tell them what Jesus Christ has done for you. But you know what happens, don't you? We get gridlock in the mouth. We get all hung up. And we don't speak up for Jesus because we begin to think, you know, if I talk to my classmates about Christ, if I tell them about Jesus, I'll come across as something, you know, funny and they'll think weird things about me and they won't like me. And maybe somebody will get mad at me at work or on the job, a friend or a next door neighbor that I know needs to hear about Jesus. And so what happens is we don't tell people about Christ. We think to ourselves, you know, they don't really want to hear. They're not interested. Friends, that's not the way Jesus sees it. That's not the picture Jesus paints for us. In fact, when we looked at the scripture, we noticed in Matthew chapter 9, verse 37, Jesus tells us just the opposite. Here's what Jesus says. He says, the harvest is abundant, but what? The workers are few. Problem's not with the harvest. (laughs) The problem's... With the workers. The harvest is plentiful. There are a lot of people out there who don't know Jesus. Who are trying to figure life out and they're trying everything possible they can to make it work. They're trying success and money. They're trying education. They're trying multiple relationships. And everything that they're stuffing into their lives... They're still trying. They're still trying. And they're getting more and more frustrated with each attempt because every one of them's coming up short to meet the deepest need of their life. They're not finding meaning. They're not finding fulfillment. This is a story of the people who are around us. The problem's not with them. The problem's with us. The problem is we're not telling them about Christ. 
Romans chapter 10 verse 14 says this, How then can they call on him they have not believed in, and how can they believe without hearing about him, and how can they hear without a preacher? Don't let that word preacher fool you. It's not talking about Pastor Sid. It's talking about anyone who proclaims the message, the gospel of Jesus Christ. A man was commissioned to paint a picture of a dead church. And his painting was rather odd in that it showed an immaculate church building. Everything was in order. You could look at the painting. You could see the floors were sparkling. There was fresh paint. There were clean windows. The sanctuary was painted full of people. Someone looking at the painting said, I don't get it. That doesn't look like a dead church to me. The curator said, look a little bit closer at the painting. And upon closer inspection, they saw the painter had painted cobwebs in the baptistry. Friends, that's a picture of a dead church. A church will either evangelize or fossilize. But it will not stand still. Where there's life, there's growth. Number two, where there's growth, there are problems. Looking on in verse 1, returning there, we see there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in, in the daily distribution. Now, there were two kinds of widows in that church. There were Hebrew-speaking widows and there were Greek-speaking widows. And these widows depended on the church. All of them depended on the church to take care of them. Some felt neglected, it says, in the daily distribution of food, the basic necessities of life. And they got their feelings hurt. Now, there's nothing in the text... You read it with me. Nothing in the text suggests to us that they were being intentionally overlooked. That doesn't say that. The apostles were busy. They were praying. They were preaching. We've been watching this. We've been observing this as we've read through the book of Acts. They've been teaching people who are coming to faith in Christ. And the church was growing rapidly. And the apostles had been doing exactly what God had called them to do. And quite honestly, they were feeling overwhelmed by all the needs that were coming up with all this growing number of people who were coming into the body of Christ. And they didn't have time to pray. They didn't have time to prepare to preach messages or get to all the places where they needed to be teaching these new believers in Jesus Christ. And the neglect happened, but it happened unintentionally. The problem, though, was real. And the widows began... To complain. We look at other translations. The King James Version says there arose a murmuring. Nothing good in the Bible is ever said about murmuring. Let me give you some scriptures. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, 15 says this, Do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in the world. 
1 Thessalonians 5.18 says this, In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do you know it's impossible for us to give thanks and murmur and complain at the same time? That's why the psalmist writes, His praise will always be on my lips. When we murmur and we complain... Did you know we're actually speaking against God? Now Moses is addressing the people of Israel. These are God's people. They've been called. They've been seeing God at work. And they begin to complain. And they come to Moses and they complain about this and they complain about that. Exodus chapter 16, verse 7 and 8. Listen to this. Moses says this. In the morning you'll see the Lord's glory because he's heard your complaints about who? About him. For whom are we that you complain about us? The Lord will give you meat to eat this evening and all the bread you can want in the morning. For he has heard the complaints that you have what? That you're raising against who? Against him. Who are we? Your complaints are not against us, but against who? The Lord. When we complain, we're complaining against the Lord. When we murmur and complain about our spouse, when we murmur and we complain about our parents, our school teachers, our employer, or the pastor, we're murmuring against God. Now, God's Word places murmuring in the same list and on the same level, listen to this, with idolatry, sexual immorality, and testing Jesus Christ. Paul writes these words in 1 Corinthians 10, 7 through 10. Don't become idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to party. Let us not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in a single day, 23,000 people died. Let us not test Christ as some of them did and were destroyed by snakes. And don't complain as some of them did and were killed by the destroyer. Let me ask you questions. Are you an idolater? I pray not. Do you commit sexual immorality? God forbid it. Do you put Christ to the test? Heaven help us not to do that. Do you complain and murmur? The problem in the early church was not doctrinal, it was functional. It was important, but it was secondary. Now, whenever you put an object in motion, it creates friction. And when you get people together who are in motion for Jesus Christ there are going to be some problems. Let me tell you something, friends. I'd rather be a part of a growing church that has problems than a part of a dead church who has none. Where there is growth, there are problems. Third, I want you to see that where there are problems, there are solutions. 
verses 2 and 3, these leaders were deeply spiritual and they were intensely practical. Look back with me again in your word with me in verses 2 and 3. And notice this is what it says. The twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples and they said, It would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom whom we can appoint to this duty, but we'll devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Now, what was their plan? The plan was twofold. Two aspects to the solution. The first aspect was there was the spiritual ministry of feeding the Word. It says in verse 4, but we will devote ourselves to prayer into the ministry of the Word. It wasn't that the apostles wanted to be free from work. They wanted to be free to work. And they said, our work is to be preaching and to be praying. We don't want to be free from work. We want to be free to do the work God's called us to do. We don't have time to prepare to preach. We don't have time to pray for the people who are coming to us for prayer, for all the needs that we see. To seek God for His leadership on what He would have to do next. Pastors have to feed the people the Word of God. A healthy church is a well-fed church. A fellow walked into a pet store. Wanted to buy a talking bird. Spoke to the pet store owner. Said, I'm here to buy a talking bird. He said, well, good. We've got two, two parakeets, two talking parakeets. One for $25 and one for $100. He said, well, I don't want to spend that much on a bird. I'll take the $25 parakeet. So in his cage, off he went, paid his $25, headed home. One week later, he's back at the pet store. He said, you know that bird you saw me? And said a word since I brought him home. Well, the pet store owner said, well, did he ring the bell? Bell? What bell? He said, well, there's a bell that that bird's supposed to peck. And he said, well, how much is a bell? He said, $5. Well, give me one. Off he headed home. A week later, he comes back. He said, that, that parakeet you saw me still has not spoken a word. He said, well, did the parakeet run up and down the ladder? He said, what ladder? He said, well, I've got one here for $10. He said, well, give me a ladder. Off he went. He headed home one week later, he's back, and he says, uh, that bird still isn't talking. And he said, well, did he look in the mirror? (laughs) Well, what mirror? He said, give me a mirror. How much is it? $12. The next week, the man returned to the store, and he said, the bird hadn't uttered a peep. And the store owner said, well, did he swing back and forth on the swing? (laughs) All right, how much for the swing? Fifteen bucks. Next day, the fella returned. And he said, 
here I am. And the manager said, well, back so soon, how's the bird? He said, well, he died. He said he pecked on the bell, he climbed up the ladder, he looked in the mirror, he swung back and forth in the swing, and then he fell over and he uttered his last words. And the pet store owner asked him, well, what were his last words? Don't they sell any bird seed in that store? Friends, churches thrive under the preaching of God's Word. Many churches are a whirlwind of activity. And you know what? They expect the pastor to be at the center of all of it. Pastoral activity is no substitute for feeding the people the Word of God. And the only way you feed the people the Word of God is that you're provided the time to maybe even sometimes put your feet up on the desk and lean back. And think about what you're praying over. And think about what God would have you to preach. There's a spiritual ministry of preaching the word. But then there's the practical ministry of feeding the widows. It says in verses 3, 5, and 6, Select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty. And this proposal pleased the whole company. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith. And the Holy Spirit and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a convert from Antioch. They had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. Any of y'all use Word on your computer? You know, every time and again, you'll type something in there, put a squiggly mark underneath it, tell you to check the spelling. Well, it wanted to change Prochorus to, to Proctor. He wanted to change Parmenas to Parmesan. I guess he's thinking about cheese or something. But notice the apostles didn't just grab anybody. Instead, they instructed the church to select men of high character, choose the best of the best of the best of the best. Three qualifications are given for serving the Lord. Number one, verse three, good reputation. Now, we're not told that these were the first deacons that were ever chosen. They're not called deacons here, but we know that the seeds of deacon ministry were at least planted here, and we typically go back and we look at this as a first example of what deacon ministry should be about. This is the roots of deacon ministry. The reason why we say that is because the word for deacon is used here. The word deacon means servant. At this particular point, it applied to any believer in Jesus Christ who was a servant of God. And this word diaconus is literally translated in this part of the text as meaning table waiter. These men had a good reputation as servants of Jesus. Whatever the job was, you could trust them with it. They were full of the Holy Spirit, it says. Now, I ask you, as a church, what do you pray for the pastor? What do you pray for the worship leader? What do you pray for the Bible teacher? I know what I want you to pray for me. I want you to pray for me to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what I want. 
You see, we expect the pastor to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We expect those who lead us in worship up here to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We expect those who teach the Bible in classes, we expect them to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But let me tell you something else. Every servant of Jesus ought to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You ought to be filled with the Holy Spirit when you're mopping the floor, when you're working in the kitchen. You ought to be filled with the Holy Spirit when you greet people at the door, when you sit in the classroom, when you work at a factory or an office, when you're watching TV. You ought to be filled with the Holy Spirit because Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. There's no ministry we can do effectively without the filling of the Holy Spirit. And it says... They were to be full of the wisdom. And wisdom's not knowledge. Um, when it comes time to nominate deacons, some hold the opinion, you know, what we need to do is we need to choose some men with, uh, you know, some knowledge. The lawyer, the doctor, the financier. We need to choose some people who've got some good business sense. Friends, a person can have knowledge and not have godly wisdom. A person with knowledge but without godly wisdom can do a church more harm than they can do good. Wisdom is knowledge from God in how to do things God's way in God's power. Let me repeat that. Wisdom is knowledge from God in how to do things God's way in God's power. Now, we may not all attain the same level of knowledge, but we can all be filled with the Holy Spirit. We can all be people with godly wisdom. Because James says to us in James 1 verse 5, Now, if any of you, any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. James 1 verse 5. Now, you'll notice that in our text, we didn't, we passed over this, but I want to go back and I want to pick up on it. This was the proposal that was presented. Look at verse 5. Luke reports that this proposal pleased the whole company. Now, what was it? What was the problem? Growing pains. How was the problem met? The problem was met by the church recognizing roles... And sharing responsibilities. And it pleased the whole congregation. Now lastly, I want to say to you, where there are solutions, there are even, there's even greater growth. Verse 7 says this. So the word of God spread. The disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number. And a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. Now Luke doesn't specify who these priests were. He doesn't call them by name. But it is estimated that in the temple preparation and carrying out the service of the Lord, especially at this time of year where they have just followed the observance of Passover, where they are there for the observance of first fruits, 
where many people from all over the world have come to Jerusalem to worship. They're there. The gospel is being proclaimed, but they're there. It's estimated that there could have been as many as 8,000 priests serving in some capacity and carrying out all the things that had to be done in accordance with temple worship. 8,000. I don't know if there were 8,000 there, but there were a lot of them. And at that particular time, do you know where the apostles were doing most of their preaching? In the temple area. These priests who were serving were in close proximity, where on a daily basis they could hear the apostles proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. And many of them came to faith. Now we've seen a problem. And where the Spirit of God is, problems can be turned into possibilities. You know if you want to grow spiritually, God's going to stretch you. Now that hurts. Because let me tell you, all who want to have problems get in this line. That's a pretty short line. You don't find volunteers getting in that line. But if you want to grow in Jesus Christ, you're going to have problems. And where there are problems, there are possibilities. I've had some times where I've been discouraged and defeated. I've had seasons in my life where I've been knocked to my knees. I've had times of embarrassing, sinful activity where I've had to fall on my face before God and confess and say, God, forgive me. Cleanse me. And you know what I've learned? I've learned that God breaks us to remake us. You know what I've learned? If I never had a problem, I wouldn't know God could solve them. Problems are the very stuff, the very tools that God uses to grow us up in Jesus Christ. The inventor Thomas Alva Edison watched a fire burn down his factory. In that fire, he lost his research from all of his experiments. I mean, just up in smoke. Thomas Alva Edison lost $2 million, friends, when $2 million was $2 million. He's standing there, he's staring at the fire with his face glowing from the heat of that tremendous blaze. When his son hears about the fire, races to his side, standing there beside him, arms around his dad. Edison turns to his son. He says to him, son, go get your mother. She'd never seen anything like this before. You know what his next words were? His next words were, You know, there's something wonderful about a fire. 
It burns up all your mistakes. Three months later, Thomas Edison's company released the first phonograph. Where there are problems, there are possibilities. Thank God for problems. Problems are a springboard to growth. Every time the devil attacked this church, God counterattacked and the church continued to grow and to spread and to thrive. Friends, I'm here to tell you, all hell can't stop a church who keeps its eye on Jesus. Where there's life, there's growth. Where there's growth, there are problems. Where there are problems, there are solutions. Where there are solutions, there's even greater growth. Let's stand together for prayer. You know, I talked about a fire, and uh, Edison's words were, you know, something wonderful about a fire, it wipes away all your mistakes. Let me tell you something else that's even more wonderful. On the cross, Jesus Christ took our sins upon himself. He bore our punishment on that tree for us. We deserve the punishment, not Jesus. He took our sins upon himself so that we might be forgiven. So that we might have everything that's keeping us away from God, everything in between us and God could be forgiven, wiped clean. We could have a fresh start. Now Jesus didn't deserve to die. He didn't have to die. He chose to die. You know why he chose to die? Because he loves you. And he loves me. And I want you to know today that Jesus loves you and died for you. And today, if you will admit your need for Jesus, if you'll just say, God, with everybody else in this room, I know I'm a sinner. I can't save myself because I deserve punishment. Thank you, Jesus. You took my punishment for me. I ask you, Jesus, to come in and save me right now. And Lord, I ask you to help me to live for you. Help me not to be ashamed of you, not to be afraid to tell others what you've done for me. Let me speak up. Let me be bold. Now today, if you trust Jesus as your Savior and Lord, whether it's online and you're watching this through our video format or whether you're here in this room, I want to invite you to trust Jesus as your Savior today and to tell somebody about it. In fact, I want you to tell one of our staff members about it this morning before you leave this place. We're going to sing a song of response in just a moment. I'm going to pray for us. And following the service, I'm going to ask you to come down here. Andy's going to be down here at the front. And uh, he's that wonderful, lovable guy who makes those announcements at the start of the service. And Andy's going to be down here at the front, and he'll talk with you about your decision and help you Take the next steps in your profession of faith in Christ. Maybe you're a person who's been praying for a church home. I want you to know that long before you came here, we were praying for you. You know, God's been working in your life and orchestrating things and guiding you and leading you to this place in your life. And you find that this is the place where God would have you to plant your life with other people. Not to sit and soak, but to sing and serve.
alongside other people who are Christ followers as well. So today we want to encourage you to be a part of our church family. And if that's your desire, you'd like to know, well, where do we go from here? This is our desire. We'd like to do that. Come down here and talk to Andy about that. Let's bow together for prayer. Lord, I know before I met you, I know every problem that came my way, I tried to handle it on my own. And... uh, A lot of those problems I created for myself. Part of life is just that it's full of problems. We all have problems. We all get sick. We all have difficulties. Sometimes we lose a job. Sometimes things happen in relationships and we have breakups and divorces. But Lord, if there's anything we've seen this morning, it's that The presence of the Holy Spirit is a change factor in every situation. And it's not whether or not we have problems. Lord, we confess we all have problems. You know that. And Lord, this morning, we pray that you would change our problems into the possibilities by your Spirit working in us, filling us, guiding us, leading us. And I pray for that boy, that girl, that teenager, that man, that woman, husband, wife, grandfather, grandmother. That today would be the day of victory in their heart as they trust Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And they say, you know, I've been looking for this my entire life. Or this is what I know I need. A Savior, Jesus. I pray they'd have the courage to tell someone about that decision today. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the opportunity to respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen.